marriage was becoming very, very cheap. So you could put curriculum interventions up in the cloud, a lot of it with very, very specific skill set targeting. AI was getting more accessible. So you could do real-time assessment on the child based on their successes and challenges and understand at a deep level against the complex array of skills, how to then reach into that cloud of curriculum and apply it. And then you could gamify it because we have these wonderful things called tablets with these incredible, you know, incredible graphic interfaces and with high speed internet connectivity, you could gamify it. So you keep these little kiddos engaged. And I saw all that only getting cheaper in 2014. So I went, I can bring all these together and aggregate these and create a company around it and nobody's doing it. So that was, that's a long-winded explanation of what the catalyst was to the start of, of Square Panda and how it actually you know, was very, very relevant to my past background and why I felt compelled to start this because the social need was so, was so obvious and dramatic. Andy, that's just a great segue to my next question, and, and which really is, goes to the heart of our, of our podcast series, is how do you go from Garage to Global? And one of the many amazing things about you is, is how you've taken this idea out of the United States and into the global stage, but, but also you know, you're, you're in the inner city and you're in the U.S. and you're also in India and China and Korea. How did you get off the ground? I'd love to hear about, you know, how you, you raised your first money into the company and how you brought your first product to market. Sure. Let's start with money raising. You know, it's a really, it's kind of funny. Occasionally, you know, in the past Stanford business school would invite me for a one day seminar to the biz school to talk about what it's like to be a CEO of a startup company. And I always ask the question right off the bat of, what do you think a CEO's role is? And I get these wonderful responses, kind of like, you know, visionary responses, like your role is to be the cultural leader of the company and define the culture. And your role is to set the go-to-market strategy and differentiate the company from the competitors, et cetera. I mean, it, it, all those things are important, but, you know, I, I inevitably say you're, you're all wrong. Those are number two and number three. Your, your number one goal is, your number one function is to raise money <laughs> because without that, there's no gasoline in the engine. So you're gonna be spending, you know, just to calibrate your experience, if you wanna become a CEO of a startup, you're gonna be spending about 85% of your time doing that because that's just the, that's the conveyor belt that you jump on if you jump on as a CEO of a company. So, you know, relating to Square Panda is back in 2014, that was the desert of EdTech. Now EdTech is a darling in the venture capital community. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive momentum. But if you went out pitching EdTech in 2014, you know, you were like a comic whose one liners just landed with a big dud and nobody clapped. You know, it was like everybody went, EdTech, uh, sorry, maybe you can, you know, pitch to our recent, you know, intern. You'd never get to a partner level. You know, the intern needs to have practice listening to pitches. So, I mean, you know, it's EdTech was, I don't know, historically was started off hot in the mid 2005, 2006. There weren't a lot of exits initially. So venture capitalists lost interest. 
then it's it's just in the last you know literally 12 24 months that edtech started picking up in large part due to all the remote learning that's happening in covid times of covid so you know the only option available to me was to raise money with private or accredited high net worth individuals and so that's what i did and i you know constantly pitched and and raised money and we raised a pile of money um with high net worth individuals and when i tell venture capitalists how much money we've raised to date they're kind of shocked but i'm also i'm not alone in that there's other startups like salesforce that never raised a cent of venture capital and somehow you know navigated the the rocky shoals and were able to move the the boat forward so andy what comes first the the fundraising or the product uh, and I think that's a, it's a trick question because it's sort of like the chicken and the egg, isn't it? Yeah. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. So, I mean, in the initial days, I funded the company and I funded it, you know, partly because I was still running my consulting company. So I was taking the profits from the consulting company and pouring it into the development of this product. I was able, you know, so because without a, with just waving your hands, especially in the ed tech market, we needed you know, that was too hard of a sale. So I knew that. So I had to have something to show. I had to show the differentiation. I had to have a business plan. I had to have a skeletal crew. So basically that was funded initially out of my back pocket. And I was fortunate enough to have a business that had ongoing profitability that could do that. Um, and then as we picked up steam, we were able to bring in one by one other investors. Um, and then you do what you normally do with, you know, when you've got a private network is you ask your investors to introduce you to other investors and you expand outward from that. And tell me about the product development that was happening at the same time. So, so tough. You're out pitching, trying to raise money. And at the same time, you're trying to build a minimum viable product and, and then something that, that you can ship to generate some kind of revenue to demonstrate that there's some kind of fit with what you're building and what the market needs. Yeah, fortunately, you know, fortunately I had a whole career about launching products and helping other companies launch products. And I'd, I had scar tissue over, you know, over how to, you know, how to position your product, how to develop your product, you know, how to make sure you had differentiation in the marketplace. You know, I, um, so bringing that bag of experience, you know, saved a lot of pain and agony, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, we were able to, you know, quickly do the things you should be doing, which is really kind of map out the rest of the market and where you thought it was heading, come up with your own original concept of it, test that as early as possible, with prototypes, even though they're what we call Frankenstein prototypes, because markets don't, marketplace specialists don't respond to concepts, they respond to experiences. So you got to put an experience in the hands of the people you're trying to reach. So we reached out to the organizations that were most in the need, like in the Bay Area, we reached out to Head Start, and we did a whole bunch of pilots with Head Starts with pretty pretty basic, I wouldn't call it crude prototypes, but, you know, internally in the trade of 
product design and product development, we call them Frankenstein prototypes, um, you know, because they're, they're basically skeletal representations of what you're trying to achieve. And over time, as you get more feedback, you can embellish it. And, and as you embellish it and get more feedback and you get a better you know, definition of what success looks like, you inevitably are more credible to the investor base and that brings in more money so you could advance the ball forward a little bit further. So it's very much, you know, it's, it's very much, you know, like two, I wouldn't call it two or three steps forward, one step back, but it's more like two, three steps forward and pause and, and secure your beachhead, then move forward again. Andy, tell me about your first big break at Square Panda when it, the, the, when it really clicked. You know, I think our first big break was, you know, is in surveying the marketplace and reading everything I could. I, I came across an individual named Andre Agassi, the you know, eight-time, you know, tennis champion of, of, of majors and everything. And I read his book about his journey, about what motivated him to resurrect his career and go on and, and have one of the best later stage careers ever in tennis, only succeeded by the current crop of players who are now playing to 39 and 40 years of age. But he was exceptional at that point. But what motivated him was his desire to bring education to the poorest neighborhoods of Las Vegas, his hometown. Um, and he actually, you know, started a charter school, you know, he writes in his book, he took out a mortgage of $40 million on, on his home and, and opened up, you know, a charter school of public, public uh, charter school, freed all the kids 